What I've been able to really notice is that we design our systems for what's convenient for our system. And it's not always conducive to a compassionate environment for our patients. You know, how often do leaders actually take the time to go through that entire patient journey and look for how it feels and how those processes are that really impacts that patient's perception of care. One of the most beautiful and difficult parts of healthcare is the deeply personal nature of our industry. The people who work in healthcare flow between the roles of caregiver, patient, family member, friend, neighbor, then back again. And in each role, we're given the opportunity to view the healthcare experience from a different and unique perspective. And as that experience hits closer to home, the sensitivity and the personal nature hits even harder, revealing more gaps in our system and areas of improvement. And that's exactly where our guest, Stephanie Abbott, found herself this past year. I'm Rebecca Corin, and this is Moments Move Us a people-first podcast unlocking the power of meaningful moments by bringing you stories that inspire. Stephanie Abbott is the Chief Experience Officer for Adventist Health and is truly a walking inspiration. Growing up, Stephanie knew she would go into healthcare leadership to follow in the footsteps of her dad, but it wasn't until this past year where things became very personal for Stephanie. In this special episode, you will hear Stephanie's bravery and determination in choosing to find the silver lining in her experience as fuel to help others. Let's jump in. Stephanie, thank you so much for being with us today on Moments Move Us. I'm so honored. I appreciate the invite. I love the title. So I am very much looking forward to this conversation. Absolutely. I thought maybe we could start today by hearing a little bit about your journey into healthcare. I know it starts way back with your family and would love to hear how you got to this role. I am the chief experience officer for Adventist Health, and I've had the privilege to work for some amazing organizations. And when I first started in healthcare, never did I ever think I was going to be a leader in patient experience. I thought I would follow in my father's footsteps. My dad was a CEO, CFO. <laughs> I am not good at math, so we'll just say that at top. So a CFO is definitely never my track, but I always thought I would be CEO. And my career just ended up moving in a different direction. And when I started to really understand patient experience, employee experience, and how culture is really the foundation that drives everything. I loved it and I got really good at it and passionate about it. And so that's how I continued to climb this journey. Amazing. And so when you observed your dad, like when you were younger and you saw him in his role, and then you thought, I'm going to be a CEO of a hospital. What was it that spoke to you that made you feel like this would be a good fit for me? This was before computers, but my dad had a word processor, right? And so he'd literally sit there and he would type things and then he'd like print it out. And then you had to reread it. And I remember being like 10, 12, I don't know, somewhere around there sitting at the dining room table with my dad. And he was like, Hey, I need you to proofread this with me. And I'm like, 
dad, I just want to go outside and ride my bike. And he's just like, I need you to help me. And I'm like, okay. So I'd be sitting here reading this legal agreement with my dad, word for word. And he'd be like, blah, 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 comma, blah, 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 blah. And not only was it fun to be with my dad, because I am such a daddy's girl, but I saw how passionate he was about making a difference in healthcare and operations, because he had so many different types of roles as an officer. And every day he was always wanting to make a difference in something that he was doing to impact others. And that was what I saw about healthcare. So I was just like, well, I'm going to be a CEO one day, not even knowing what it was, but he just instilled that in me. What's so amazing about healthcare is that healthcare has some type of impact on a patient at the very sort of end of the trickle down sort of ripple effect, right? So like, even if you don't ever see patients, even if you're someone like me who provides like a platform as part of my day job at Wambi, providing a platform for health systems to use, I still feel like I'm part of a world where we are all here for the same reason, which is really to effectuate change and impact for patients and families. Oh yeah. I remember I used to work for Intermount Healthcare and we lived in Park City, Utah, and we were driving up the canyon and one of our helicopters had landed on the road and was assisting someone for a very serious event. And this just overwhelming pride came over me. And I was, A, I prayed about it, right? I was praying for those people that were going through that moment. But then I looked at my husband and I said, I'm a part of that. And he goes, no, you're not. That's the helicopter team. <laughs> and I'm like, hold on a second. No, I'm part of that. And this is how it's waited to like this five minute dissertation about how I am a part of that and the whole scope of things. And so he was like, okay, babe. <laughs> but it's true. I think it's so true. And I think everyone in healthcare, we're so purpose-driven. Really, it truly is just a profession of a calling and doesn't really matter what you're doing. It doesn't matter whether you're cleaning a patient's room or valeting somebody's car. I feel like at the end of the day, we are all here from this very deep place. And when you see something like that happen, yeah, I kind of understand where your husband's coming from, but like, but you were a part of that. I think actually Rich Blooney says it's best. He says there's no just us in healthcare. Because it doesn't matter your role, whether you're the EVS tech or you're the nurse. Sometimes we go, well, I'm just a, and it's like, no, 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 nobody's just on healthcare because we either provide clinical care as a caregiver or we supply support to those caregivers, but we're all caregivers. So true. And I always think about sort of all of the touch points that go into optimizing the moment two people interact. And like that patient and that team member or that caregiver, whoever it is, and it could be anyone, but the moment two people interact, how that makes such a a major impact in the lives of patients and families and potentially forever and beyond their life for their families' lives. And I think a lot about this because when we create the environment, like you were just talking about culture a little bit. And I think we should talk about that because it's like when you build an environment that really promotes that sort of human to human interaction it fills, I think, both parties up. It's sustaining and it gets you to bring your best self. And I think at times healthcare is very tactic and we have and process driven and we have so many things that we have to do that sometimes we forget to pause and realize the human being that is standing in front of us because it might have been the 53rd time I did this today. 
but this patient might have just gotten an awful diagnosis. This might be their first time doing something. They're terrified. And we can either approach that moment by creating additional suffering, or we can reduce that patient's suffering by creating a moment for them that makes them feel like a unique individual experiencing healthcare instead of whatever their diagnosis is or whatever that tactic is that we have to get off of right now. I think that the way you pointed that out is so poignant, Stephanie, because you think about how part of the job is doing things over and over, right? Like I think about the phlebotomist that's doing the blood draw over and over and over again, but for a patient, maybe it's the first time, maybe they constantly have, I know my speaking for from experience, my dad has really tough veins to hit. And it's always a very stressful event when he's going in to have his blood drawn. And so when he gets that phlebotomist and there's one phlebotomist, he always tries to get at the hospital that's local to her. If he can get her, he knows he's going to be okay. If he doesn't have her, he's nervous. But of course she's done it thousands of times, like, you know, maybe tens of thousands, but for him, it's that prick, right? It's that moment. Oh yeah. I'm going through my own healthcare journey. And so you talking about lab draws, I'm there with your girlfriend. (laughs) Like I I could empathize with your dad there because I remember there was one person that hurt me once and it created all this anxiety that I'm like, I don't want that person again. And so every time I went, I was like, do not pull it on this side of my knee because then it's going to cause a bruise and it's going to hurt. And they were always like, look at me, like I'm that crazy patient. I'm like, you do not understand how high my anxiety is right now. Right. Totally. And I think about that too, because it's like, when we get to the other side of the coin, when we have personal experiences, when our families do, our work is so intimate. So it hits close to home when it's us or when it's a family member, because we know a lot about the system. But I think when we become a patient, we're right back with everybody else, part of the community. I will tell you that as I've become a patient, I have approached my journey trying not to be that patient, right? That has the executive hat and I'm being critical of everything. But I think uh, through my journey, it's actually been a blessing for me because I've been able to do both, right? And I've been able to see how some of these things and the, these tactics that we do and experience, whether they really matter or do we need to pivot with pride <laughs> to really make the impact that we're expecting. Stephanie, would you feel comfortable sharing a little bit more about your journey as an executive? And you kind of were sharing a little bit about your health journey and how that's interplayed, because I think so many of us have had sort of personal experiences, whether obviously all of us have been a patient or family member of a patient at some time. And I think about the power of seeing things firsthand and all of our organizations also serve the people who work there. So how important is that connection and that story to uncover when we ourselves find ourselves either as a patient or a family member in a health journey? So I haven't advertised this to the world yet. So this will be the first, but at 37 years old, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. And 2022 was not the year that I had expected it would be. And I don't think you'll ever hear most people say, well, breast cancer was a blessing. But for me, I feel that it really was. I learned a lot this year wearing two hats, right? As a subject matter expert and also as a patient. And I've been able to look at things through two different types of lenses that really I feel is going to impact 
the way I approach improvement work the rest of my life. And when I first got my diagnosis and I called one of my girlfriends who had gone through this years prior and I was crying, you know, I was in a really dark place and I am like miss positivity. So to be in a negative place for me, it was kind of concerning for everyone. And she was just talking about like my role and my passion and influential ability that I could really spin this in a positive way. And so I started to think about if I take what I learned and try to look at it through that objective lens, I'll be able to make a difference for millions of people in this space. And what was ironic is I love memes. <laughs> and so I saw this meme that said, dear Jesus, why are you putting me through troubled waters? And it said, because your enemies cannot swim. So then I started to think, okay, what are you doing? Right. And I started to look for signs and ways that just connected me to trying to understand what is the bigger purpose of what I'm experiencing and how can I make a difference for millions of people in this space through my journey. Wow. First of all, Stephanie, like that's just such a powerful story and you got that diagnosis, you know, it wasn't a long time ago that you heard that and to have this type of transformation of thought, like I can imagine being in a really dark spot in the beginning, but the fact that you have transformed that intention, that is fearlessness. Like that is amazing. When you think about where you are today, I mean, how has your perspective changed? I got my diagnosis November 10th or 11th of last year. And so this year has just been an absolute whirlwind, but my perspective has changed in the sense that we do all these tactics and experience, right? Like you have to do bedside shift report. You have to do hourly rounding. You need to do your edit. And it's not about the tactic. It's about the moment that you create between yourself as the caregiver and that human being. And what I've been able to really notice is that we design our systems for what's convenient for our system. And it's not always conducive to a compassionate environment for our patients. How often do leaders actually take the time to go through that entire patient journey and look for how it feels and what, how those processes are that really impacts that patient's perception of care. Because ultimately I think too, what we don't do well in this space is we don't attach an ROI to it. So when you try to bring this to the executive team and you say, we need to hire FTEs to do this, or we need to buy this technology that simplifies this process. And it's like, show me the pro forma, (laughs) you know, we don't do a good job of that. And so what I'm trying to do in my space is to bring that so that it's not looked at as like a soft skill, right? There's actual hard evidence first to improve the experience for our employees, because ultimately the patient experience will never supersede the employee experience. So once we look for ways to improve the employee experience, delivering a compassionate experience for our patients, that then brings value for our organization in multiple ways, financially and clinical outcomes. Totally. I also think about how the trust element from a patient to a team member, like when patients are trusting that the person really cares about the way that they feel, they're going to forgive the things that don't go well. And we know things don't go well. I feel like that forgiveness element is just 
way heightened. And I'm sure you, you have seen that too at firsthand in, in some of your interactions. Like, can you share, has there been something like where you've really seen things go right as part of this moment? I feel like I'm like in a car, like I'm sitting on the edge of the seat, like going like this. I'm like, Oh God, I'm so glad she's asking this question. Cause I've got two stories to tell. Perfect. Well, we have time for both. So I can tell you when it's gone really right. And when it's gone really wrong, we talk about like specific delays. The patient doesn't really always understand what is going on. And I'll tell you when I was having surgery, I was going to have my mastectomy. Right. And I was told to be there at 7.45, right? So my best friend and my husband were driving with me. We get to the hospital, we're there at 7.45. I get brought back into the room to do like all this imaging test and all that kind of like the prep work. It is like 8.30, no communication, no nothing whatsoever. And I end up finally going out there because now I'm a little irritated. And the staff member is like, oh, well, they're in a meeting with administration. What do you mean they're in a meeting with administration, right? So now my operational hat's going on, right? Looking at all these different rooms. I'm looking, estimating the price of the equipment, you know what I'm So I'm doing formulas in my head, like thinking about the waste. And then I think of how often has that happened with my patients because somebody was in a meeting with me, right? So it's almost like a kick in the face that says, oh man, I hope that that never happened when it was me. So what ended up happening is that that caregiver ended up coming. Well, it wasn't the caregiver. It was actually the physician that came in a little bit later and said, Hey, I just want you to know that I apologize for running late. We have this continuity of care meeting where we talk about all our patients for the day. You were part of that conversation and your surgical oncologist happened to be there at the time, which I love my surgical oncologist. And so I said, Oh, she was there. I forgive you. So it was like this, because of the relationship I had with my provider, I was way more forgiving. If she hadn't been there, I probably would have been a little bit more irritated. Yes. But also if they would have, I think, shared with you in the beginning what they were doing, instead of saying that we're an administrative meeting an hour into you waiting and having, I'm sure all the anxiety associated with just sitting there and your family, you know, your husband and best friend sitting. And I can imagine like, all you need is just the communication at that moment. It's like those keywords, right? Like they could have just said something to update me, but it was also, if you think about it, like this is about culture because the way in which it came across is it says they're with administration. So it's like this, we, they, you know, versus actually they weren't with administration. It was a continuity of care conversation. That's incredibly important. So if she would have worded it a little bit different it would have not created anxiety, suffering, irritability, right? I would have sat there. I would have been like, I probably would have gone out in the waiting room with my robe and all just sat there with my husband and my best friend. That's such a good example of why it's so important to think about the patient's feeling the moment that they enter any care experience, whether that's within a building or like through accessing a portal to, to make an appointment, whatever it is. Like it starts with that, with a first impression. And there are a lot of first impressions through the course, but that was your first impression of that day. And you said that you have another story as well. Oh, I do. I, so a way in which they did it really right. So at my oncologist, I adore my oncologist. He is probably one of the most phenomenal human beings I've ever met in my life. And he really gets the experience of patients and how important it is. 
And there's so many examples I could go, but specific to like wait times, I remember I was sitting in the lobby. I had one of my clinic meetings. So I was meeting with him either every two weeks, every four weeks to kind of depend on what part of the journey I was on. And I was sitting in the lobby. There was probably about, I don't know, 15 or so other people. And his medical assistant came out and she goes, excuse me, I need to make an announcement. She goes, anybody that's waiting on Dr. So-and-so, he is running about 30 minutes behind. And I apologize for that, but we did want to keep you informed. We understand that your time is valuable. If you need to reschedule, we can help you reschedule. If you're fine waiting, we appreciate that. Do you know what happened? Everybody was like, hmm. people got up, they got snacks, they kept doing something on their phone. I didn't see anybody reschedule who were informed. That's right. It's all about expectations. Oh yeah, right? Versus like there was another situation where I had where I waited an hour and 24 minutes with a brand new provider, no communication. And guess what? I'm not going to be a patient. And they said, would you like to reschedule? Are you joking? You didn't communicate with me on anything about the delay. Why would I reschedule? The patient experience matters. I so agree with you. And I feel like one of the things that has been illuminated and just is way more accepted. And this is something that we talk about a lot in my conversations with Moments Move Us guests, but it's really this interconnectedness of the team and the patient experience and how it truly is like one experience, this one fabric that each aspect, each moment is making up this culture, which absolutely includes patients and families. And when you think about your work, and I know you've talked about this as you've elevated the patient experience in so many ways, can you share What does it look like when we're doing it well? And how are we going to get there? I get a little anxiety, like thinking about everything that I've learned across this journey and everything I want to implement, right? Because there's so much. But I think the biggest opportunity is really taking that step back and looking at that low hanging fruit in our process, the way we have things designed, the impact on like access, et cetera, and saying, okay, let's break these into manageable chunks. And how do we implement change that really makes a difference in those types of areas? I think too, if you look at how we've come along this healthcare journey and patient satisfaction. I hate that word patient satisfaction, but it's like, that's what it's called. Right. So years ago, before I even really started to focus on patient satisfaction, the way that experience was designed was the provider in the middle and everything operates around that provider. And then it was like, well, no, let's put the patient in the center. We're going to call it patient centered care and everything operates around the patient. I'm going to say no either. (laughs) It's really the employee and the patient arm in arm, everything else should operate around it. So we should design a system that is conducive to that employee environment or their experience and the patient experience. And I think about all the challenges that exist today, like in a sort of post pandemic. I hate saying post. I know that we're just starting to use this word, but in an aftermath and continued pandemic environment and the challenges are real and they're pervasive. So like, how do we look at experience differently? How have you kind of seen it evolve from like a pre COVID to now? The world is changing. And it's so interesting because usually when you look at changes, like it happens over like a decade. Right. And so now we're talking like three years, (laughs) like, world has completely changed. And you think about remote work, 
or like when you did work remote and a dog barked or a child like came up, like people would frown upon that. And now it's normal, but that's also what people want. So I think it's a little bit different. Like when you think of actual like hospital work, right? Because nurses can't do their job remotely, but you think some of those support types roles, they're going to be working remote. That's what people want. So how do we develop a culture with remote teams? And my boss and I were actually just having this conversation the other day. And it comes back to, well, what do we do? And it's like, I don't know. But the rest of the country is going to have to figure it out or figure it with us too, right? Because we're not the only ones going through this. And we'll figure it out. The human stories is what helps us connect and the culture of a healthcare organization, whether you're remote or in person, it really revolves around those stories and hearing about the things that are going on for people and also the stories individuals are experiencing themselves. Like when we meet through Zoom, I think about this with my teams. It's like, there's an agenda. You're going through the agenda and there's only so much time. You have back-to-back meetings. Everyone talks about back-to-back meetings and they don't even have time to like get up and get a drink and have a snack and you know go outside for a minute. But like the most important stuff is what's happening outside the agenda between the meetings. Like, how do we make space for that so that people can really connect? Because your story matters. Like everyone is, everyone is, has their own battles. And the only way we can really connect is through allowing for that vulnerability to come through. I don't have a good answer for that yet. I totally agree with you that it's about the power of connections and the power of stories. Because that's really what influences change. Like when you talk about driving improvement, you don't really remember the tactic. You remember the story that you heard about the tactic, right? And that's what creates that, that really that value. To do that remotely, I don't know yet. How do you connect with somebody? I'm thinking about like meetings that I've gone to where I sit with like a bunch of complete strangers that are in my role across the US. And there's been times where just based upon their personality, I naturally feel like I could connect with them more. And so you start to talk to them more and you start to build relationships that way, but it's almost like a different type of reach out or, you know, like it's a different type of extrovertism. I don't even know if that's a word, but I know what you mean. It's more of like an energetic experience where you're like, I can kind of sense your personality outside of whatever we're talking about. So I know that maybe we have some things in common. We can connect. It's almost like that force, but for me, it's working. (laughs) But I hear that too. It's interesting to kind of hear some of the tactics people have been using with remote where it's like, you were right back in the day. It's like, please don't show your dog. Please don't let your children run into the screen. Like it's your worst nightmare. But now people are like, this is my dog. Like I've introduced my dog on several meetings because, because it also helps to get to know me. I was on this meeting that started at 5.30 in the morning and because it was an East Coast time and I'm on Pacific time, right? And something about my children, whenever I get up early, they know I'm awake. So they get up early. So it's now like 5.45 and my son, my one-year-old gets up. So I have him in a high chair sitting next to me, not on camera, right? So they can only see me. And I'm sitting here and wham, banana in my hair. And so like, I I pull it out, wham, another one. And I'm like, (laughs) looking at this little man, you know, and it was funny because the people that were on this call, their chief experience officers across the country, someone goes, did you just get a banana thrown at you? (laughs) 
Oh my gosh. It's 5.45 in the morning Pacific time. Here I am. Oh my gosh. That's so sweet. Can you talk a little bit about how being a mom kind of influences your leadership style? That's an interesting question. I took that. I forget what it was called, but it's like a personality test that's based upon colors. So at work, I'm very green, which is very analytical process-based want to, I can figure out the strategy and where the holes are, right? Hence my role. That's kind of like interesting. My second color at work is blue, which is emotional relationship-based, blah, blah, blah. At home, I am blue. I'm very relation-based, right? And so it's interesting the way in which your personality almost changes depending on the work that you do. My last color is orange though, which is fun and spontaneous. I'm like, wait, I have fun. What do you mean I'm not fun? Took a little bit of them slut, but I feel that how my role has changed where it started to change was first when I had never had any healthcare experiences until I became a mom. Right. So I started to wear that hat and started, you know, really to like look at those opportunities. And then I started to go to those regular wellness checks with my children to go to every week for like the first two weeks. And then it's every three months and then it's once a year. Right. And so that was really my first introduction to like the healthcare system is trying to not be that first time mom that's calling the doctor every five minutes and something happens. That's really interesting because. I hear what you're saying about how you're more analytical in the workplace and more relational at home, but you still have the relational aspect as your second sort of piece in the workplace. Think about that too, and myself with my son and how sometimes when I get home, like when I'm done working, I can't make more decisions and plan more things. There's just, you get to a threshold where you're like, I'm done. So I don't know if that's what you're experiencing, but that's been my personal experience of like, I am super low key in my like personal mom life because I use a lot of that during the day. I know my husband will do that. Like he'll send me a text and be like, what do you want for dinner? And I'm like, I cannot make another decision today. Like literally anything. It's so simple. I don't care. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I love that. So Stephanie, when you think about what the future looks like for you a year down the road moment, kind of, can you see yourself in a year from now that really would fulfill this mission of this sort of amazing interconnectedness that you shared between your personal journey and your professional journey? I want to make a difference for millions of people in this space. And I'm going to start with my own company. (laughs) So I'm currently writing a book right now. And so the way that my book is outlined is really a call to action for healthcare leaders. And so I've broken down my experience with stories based upon different things that we do in healthcare, the way that it's designed, et cetera. And so I want to take those learnings and apply them to journeys with the patient's I originally, I was thinking, well, we could do like specific service lines, but I think we'll just try to start small, right? Because it's so easy to boil the ocean, right? And I'm like, I'm looking at everything I want to do and I'm like, start to get anxiety. I'm like, how am I going to get this all done? But it's just taking one thing out at a time and just applying that process improvement. And you make a difference for one person that then makes a difference for a lot. And I tell you, there's been a times, you know, along my healthcare journey where I wasn't always in the best place. You know, I have an amazing mentor in my life and 
I was talking to him once and I never call my mentor and cry, right? Like that is just not professional. Remember, I am not blue at work. (laughs) But this time, like I was crying and I was just like, I don't know that I even want to be in healthcare anymore. And he was like, whoa, I've known you now for a decade. Never once have you ever said that. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know that I want to do this anymore. And he told me your type of role is hard. You have to make change through influence. You also don't always get a lot of support in order to do that. And it's not always about the macro level changes that you make or those macro differences that you expect. It's about the micro differences that you make every single day that lead to macro differences. What micro difference did you make today that made a difference? And so now I've been trying to look at things from that perspective and be like, okay, what did I do today that made an impact for someone so that they could do something for someone else? So that's how I'll be approaching this next year is looking for those micro things that I can do today that will eventually get me the macro results that I'm looking forward to. Absolutely. And if I can kind of distill down one key learning from all the conversations I've had as part of Moments Move Us, it's that those little moments that we say, oh, they're micro moments, they're like the tiny sort of ones that we can control actually can end up being major transformational moments. Even if it seems like it's a tiny moment, they have the power to change the world. I'm very excited about the book too, Stephanie. So once it's out, we're going to have to rekindle this conversation and share more with the world about that. Will do. Sounds like a plan. I'm going to transition now into a speed round of just some fun questions. So surprise, and this will help our audience and listeners get to know a little bit more about, about you, Stephanie. So I'll start by asking, what was an activity that you did when you were in high school? Oh man, actually I I played basketball and one of my best friend's husbands found out that I played basketball was texting me the other day. He's like, I do not see you playing basketball, like not a chance, right? I'm like, but no, I actually did. I'm not as girly as you might think. There might be like a one-on-one or horse game, like in his future. I would ball him right off the court. Like he he ain't got nothing on this. <laughs> love that. <laughs> That's awesome. I love that, Stephanie. So, okay, next question. Where can you be found on a typical Sunday? At my pool. My husband, I just adore him. He's an amazing human being. And as I've been going through this journey, he built me a gazebo. And so there's this gorgeous gazebo that's outside now and we sit out by the pool. So my son loves to go outside. So like, it's like seven 30 in the morning, like he's banging on the door trying to unlock it. You know, he's one, but he's the size of a three-year-old. So we usually will go out there first thing in the morning and we'll have breakfast. We'll start to play with toys. And then eventually when it gets a little bit warmer, we're in the pool. If Those are the summer months. That's so nice. The gazebo sounds lovely. And hopefully you'll be able to enjoy that all year round. Just bundle up and go out there. I laughingly tell my husband, I'm like, you know, you're a lot more handy. You're not, you're pretty, but you're handy. <laughs> yeah. He might be welcoming more jobs. I'm not sure. <laughs> exactly. How do you do this? Just got real big. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty hard to build a gazebo. Wow. Next question. So if you could be doing anything in the world, that's not what you're doing right now, what would it be? So I I kind of have like two answers for that. So if like money wasn't, and like, I didn't have to worry about money, like I won the lottery, 
I would probably study foreign language and just travel for the rest of my life. I would probably then get bored and try to be figuring out how I make a difference for something in that space. But that was what I think I would do. And then if I think about what maybe my world would look like if differently now based upon my experience is I would want to, I'd want to teach more people. I would want to really captivate an audience by telling them how to improve experience based upon focusing on moments. That's where I'm really hoping eventually I might end up. I don't think that's too far of a futuristic guess. And then final question for you, Stephanie, if you had a superpower, what would it be and why? I probably want to be invisible. Have you ever watched Game of Thrones? Yes. Okay. So I feel like in my role, sometimes I'm the master of whispers (laughs) because you build relationships with people that you end up knowing a lot more than you probably should. And I actually started my career in HR and HR. I love HR, right? It's like, you know, everything about everything, but you can't talk to anybody about it. And so I think I'd want to be invisible to be able to see things from a different perspective and learn how to improve processes and relate to people based upon what I learn in an environment that's not, you know, like you don't know if they're always being 100% honest. There's two, like there's this book that I read that was absolutely fascinating. I read it about one time a year. It says, What Everybody is saying. And it was written by this gentleman who he was, he was born in Cuba and he came over to the U S and he didn't know the English language. So he got really good at reading body language and now he does it for a career. And he has solved like incredible crimes based upon just reading a person's body language. So you read this book and it says, don't read this book and think that you're an expert. And I'm like, oh, I've read it three times. Of course I'm an expert, right? My husband's like, stop working on me. And I'm like, "Mm, are you lying? (laughs) (laughs) I would think, you know, now I kind of want to change my answer. I think I might do that. You know, I would probably study because it's like you communicate in so many different ways. And so I've learned that book. Like I I have lots of those pieces of that book memorized, but I'm always watching how people are interacting because I'm trying to predict what, how they're feeling. So I know how to influence them differently to get the outcomes that we're looking for. I love that. I'll never forget in college, I took like a counseling interview class and they talked a lot about how when you have a meeting with someone or you're interacting with someone, it's important to mimic their body language so that they feel like you're on the same page, but that as a result of mimicking their body language, you'll start to notice certain changes that they may make because like if they had their arms crossed and you have your arms crossed, that'll help them feel on the same plane, but it also might alleviate them to really like emote in a more like overt way. Oh, I'm going to do that. That is pretty interesting. Because sometimes like, remember when we were having a conversation about virtual and how you build culture. So like you do a lot of interviews via camera, right? And so I'm trying to watch people's behaviors and try to say, oh, are they being honest on that question? Like, how do we expand that? Are they just nervous? So you try to do that, but it's hard. So I was like, I'm going to see how that works virtually. Maybe we have a new white paper to do. <laughs> I think so. We might have to have a book number two coming out. <laughs> Well, thank you so much, Stephanie. This was so wonderful. You're so welcome. Thank you for choosing me to be part of this. I really appreciate it. And I look forward to 
working with you more, hopefully in the future. Let your biggest challenges serve as the fuel to propel you on your purpose and let your vulnerability be your strength. I'm Rebecca Corin. Thanks for listening to Moments Move Us. Remember, when you put people first, your actions can move others in unexpected ways. Be sure to follow wherever you get your audio.